Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Pascoe, the Chief Executive Officer of ICMA. Welcome to our podcast today, which is one in a series of discussions with economists and strategists from leading member firms who will give their views on what 2022 holds for us in terms of the global economic outlook and also the positioning of financial markets. I'm delighted to have with me today, Dr. Luca Casulani, co-head of strategy research at Unicredit. So Luca, first question for you. It's, it's nearly two years, I guess, now since the start uh, of the pandemic. How would you say the main economies are faring and what are your expectations for this year? Thanks. Uh, well, uh, I would say that uh, um, thanks to uh, a very powerful response by monetary and fiscal policy, economic activity in the major Western economies started to recover quickly after the beginning of the pandemics. And uh, generally speaking, we expect that uh, global recovery from uh, the collapse in uh, activity, in economic activity caused by the pandemic will continue this year. So uh, we expect uh, another year of uh, growth uh, rebounding. For example, with respect to global GDP, uh, we think that growth was probably 5.8% uh, in 21. We expect it to be 4.2% uh, this year uh, and slightly less than 4% uh, next year. This is a, a picture where we expect that uh, growth will remain uh, robust, although uh, notably slowing back toward potential. And uh, this will uh, reflect, uh, on the one hand, a scale back in fiscal and monetary stimulus, but also the fact that uh, we are approaching uh, pre-pandemic lines. For example, we expect that uh, in the US, uh, GDP will catch up with its uh, pre-COVID trend growth, uh, which is a very important uh, result. Uh, the economy has already recovered the, the Q4 GDP levels, but we expect it to catch up with the pre-COVID trend line. Specifically, with respect to the US, for example, we expect that the growth uh, uh, should be 3.5% uh, this year and 2.7% uh, next year. So in both cases, we are looking for above trend growth for the coming uh, two, two years. It's, uh, it's quite uh, an important uh, expectation. With respect to the Eurozone, we expect that GDP will uh, slow from uh, probably 5% in 21 to slightly less than 4% uh, this year. Uh, and something like uh, 2.9, so slightly less than 3% next year. Also for the euro area, we are looking for growth to remain above trend as this uh, post-COVID rebound is uh, set to continue. The most uh, important point uh, of difference uh, with respect to the US uh, is that uh, we expect the euro area to catch up with its pre-COVID trend growth only late in 2023. So one year later than, uh, than the US. And then with respect to the Eurozone, of course, the issue of supply chain frictions is going to be relevant when you look at the uh, dispersion of growth uh, across countries. For example, we expect Germany to be significantly affected by this uh, issue with the GDP probably being uh, lower than, for example, in France uh, or Spain this year. Thanks for that. That's very interesting. And it's, it's good to hear that you have a fairly constructive view uh, on the growth outlook 
I think maybe you could touch also perhaps on, on your views on inflation and potential acceleration there. I know that we've seen uh, some commentators saying that it's it's temporary. We've got others saying that it's now more embedded and systemic, but would certainly be interesting to hear how you see inflation featuring in this in this global outlook picture. It's an important uh, risk to monitor, but uh, at the moment we are constructive on this. Uh, first of all, the early stages uh, of uh, the pandemics were dominated by disinflationary forces. Uh, but this has changed dramatically since uh, the middle of uh, last year. Inflation has printed an all-time high in the euro area at 5%, and more recently has reached 7% in the US, which is a level we did not see since the early 80s. Now, higher prices reduce uh, disposable income and can negatively affect consumer demand. Although at present, uh, uh, I have to say that there is uh, still a large amount uh, of excess uh, savings, so uh, this can cushion the blow at, uh, at least initially. Uh, and more importantly, central banks have stepped up their rhetoric uh, recently. So as long as they can control uh, inflation expectations so that uh, the recent spike does not feed into inflation expectations uh, over the long term, we can uh, remain constructive. And there is uh, another point uh, I would uh, like to highlight with respect to um, inflation. There is a big uh, difference between the US uh, and uh, the Euro area. In the Euro area, we are still uh, seeing uh, inflation as being uh, pushed by one of factors, uh, the friction in supply chains uh, or fiscal aspects, for example, or uh, increases in uh, uh, energy prices. Uh, so we, we still think that inflation will ease uh, towards the final uh, part uh, of uh, this year. In the US, uh, we are starting to see more structural signals uh, of inflationary pressure. There is uh, tightness uh, in the labor market. So actually, we think that the, the, the case for inflation is stronger for the US, where indeed the, the, the central bank is responding uh, uh, more promptly. Uh, with respect to the euro area, we think uh, inflation uh, will remain relatively transitory and will ease uh, uh, below the ECB goal towards the end of uh, this year. Okay, thank you very much. I mean, you talked a little bit, obviously, about central bank activity there, and, and clearly the central banks have been key protagonists in terms of providing uh, liquidity into the market in, in the last several years. I mean, obviously, now we're, we're starting to see the cycle change and, and the reduction in things like asset purchases and obviously a review and in some cases activity on the interest rate side. How do you see the year panning out in terms of um, central bank activity in, in, in more detail? The monetary policy outlook this year is likely to be quite different uh, from uh, last year. Um, monetary policy has been an important factor supporting markets uh, since the start of uh, the pandemics with central banks delivering uh, a number of uh, very important uh, measures. For example, during uh, fiscal year 21-22, the Fed was active with its uh, asset purchase program and took uh, $980 billion of treasuries, so taking about 65% of net uh, issuance. So this uh, took away most uh, of the burden coming from fiscal policy away from uh, the private sector. And also during 21, the Fed has also been suggesting it would be patient with respect to policy rates, uh, waiting for employment gaps to, to tighten. 
Uh, this is going to change now, particularly uh, given uh, the inflationary pressures uh, that uh, we are uh, facing. It's going to be the case for the Fed. Uh, tapering is already well advanced. And uh, a first uh, rate hike uh, um, is, is going to follow uh, soon, uh, soon afterwards. Uh, markets are currently expecting uh, four rate hikes, uh, uh, more or less four rate hikes by the Fed this year. So all attention will be towards uh, uh, policy normalization. And this is uh, uh, going to be somehow the case uh, also in the euro area. Uh, in the euro area, for example, uh, the ECB will slow down uh, the pace uh, of its uh, asset purchase program compared to last year, absorbing, still absorbing uh, a relatively large amount of net supply, but much less than uh, it was the case uh, in uh, 2021. They have also suggested that uh, the special conditions for lending, for liquidity provided for lending under the Teltro Tree scheme will probably expire in the middle of uh, this year. So all this suggests that uh, monetary policy will become less supportive compared to, to last year. And this uh, um, has an implication also for markets because uh, during 21, uh, monetary policy conditions were such uh, to push real yields uh, towards record lows, uh, but this, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, is probably going to be different for, uh, for the coming year, with the real yields starting to rise relatively to last uh, year uh, lows. For example, when it comes to the US, uh, real yields have already started to rise, but we think that the repricing is, uh, is not over. We look for another 30, maybe 50 basis points uh, rise in the level of uh, real yields. Similarly for uh, the Euro area, we uh, are facing a situation in which, uh, as I said, uh, the ECB will cover still a large chunk of net issuance, uh, but around 80%, whereas last year they took more than uh, the, net, uh, the net issuance. So the, the change, uh, in uh, uh, this respect uh, will uh, favor a rise in uh, the level of, uh, of real yields. Uh, when it looks uh, to what markets are pricing uh, in, uh, for the Fed, uh, the four hikes, uh, we broadly agree. It's, uh, it's time for the US Central Bank to normalize uh, its policy stance. With respect to the ECB, money market rates are projecting uh, the depot at roughly 0% in late 2023. And we tend to disagree with, the, with this picture. It's, uh, it's uh, fairly uh, aggressive. So to sum up, I would say that monetary policy uh, is going to become less supportive than in 21. And this is especially the case in the US uh, where the Fed is already well advanced uh, in uh, uh, starting its policy tightening. So I think it's, it's probably fair to say that you, you, you forecast that the ECB will certainly remain more accommodative than the Fed uh, through the course of the year and perhaps beyond. Uh, yes, uh, from, from an absolute point of view, uh, yes, this is the case. Um, there's one subtlety that uh, I would perhaps uh, like to mention, which is the following. If we look at the situation in uh, late 2019, which is a good comparison, I think, the impression is that the ECB is uh, already on a path of uh, policy normalization, which looks uh, aggressive. So as I said, from an absolute point of view, the Fed will be the central bank hiking the most. 
but relative to what the situation was, the ECB is definitely not uh, lagging too much behind. With the respect to the ECB, the Hawks uh, probably had uh, the better hand given the recent uh, dynamics uh, in, uh, in inflation. And, and this is something uh, that should be taken into account for, for the coming year. Just to make some numbers, the Fed fund was 175% in the final quarter of 2019, so before the pandemic hit. Now the US economy, as I said, is about to catch up with the, the pre-COVID trend, and the Fed is probably going to bring back uh, the policy rate uh, where it was uh, before. Uh, on the contrary, in the final quarter of 2019, the depot in the euro area was already minus 0.5%, and the ECB was uh, already resuming QE, so before the pandemic started. Now, GDP in the euro area is not recovering as fast in the US, but still the ECB is talking about some normalization, for example, when it comes to its uh, asset purchase program. This is a signal that uh, the ECB is reacting uh, to inflation developments and the way inflation will develop during 2022 is going to be crucial if it if inflation starts easing there's a case for the ecb to be in a more relaxed position during this year so putting all those factors together i guess and um you know some of the divergent features and timing in in the two major markets that that we've been focusing on how do you think that will affect the respective yield curves Less accommodative monetary policy means uh, higher real yields, in our view, and this uh, in turn uh, will affect uh, nominal yields. With respect to the US, uh, we expect uh, the 10-year nominal to reach 2% by the end of the year. If you look at money market forwards, uh, they are now pricing in a peak for the US policy rate of almost 2%, but still the long end of the curve has not yet fully adjusted to this level. And this is probably due to a compressed level of the term premium. Uh, for example, the popular ACM measure for term premium is still negative. As it gets normalized, we think that 2% for the 10-year US nominal yield uh, will be within reach. It's going to be uh, a level uh, reflecting the peak for, uh, for the Fed policy rate. The increase we see for the 10-year should be underpinned by a further rise in uh, real yields, as I said, uh, probably towards minus 0.5, 0.3% when uh, uh, focusing on the 10-year real yields, uh, which is a level we see as consistent with our fair value model. In the US, break-even inflation uh, should probably moderate a bit from current levels. An equilibrium we see for the 10-year break-even is around 220, maybe 230 basis points. And in terms of uh, curve shape, we expect that there's going to be further moderate bare flattening uh, of the US curve as uh, Fed action helps uh, to stabilize inflation expectations. Whereas uh, uh, looking at the euro area, uh, the 10-year bond yield has risen to almost uh, 0%, a move that was also entirely driven by higher real yields. 0%, uh, it's a target we were expecting much later during this year. So we're wondering whether there are now upside risks uh, to our year-end call. But before jumping into saying that there are risks, uh, there are a few points to consider. First of all, uh, unlike the Fed, the ECB will continue to absorb uh, 
a large share, I would say, of net issuance this year, 80%. And in particular, with respect to the German market, uh, the ECB is expected to buy 90 billion of assets, which is twice as much as uh, net issuance expected for the year. So there's going to be, again, quite a significant pressure on the level of, uh, of German yields. And this is going to be especially the case in the first quarter of uh, this year. And the second point is, as I said, that we expect that inflation in the euro area will start to ease in the final part already in the coming months, but will drop below 2% by the end of the year. And this should take some steam off the current rate hike expectations, which, as I said before, we look at, we look and, and, and regard as overdone. So taking all these factors into account for the euro area, we see only moderate risks to our year-end call of bond yields at 0% or slightly above 0%. We've talked a little bit about supply there, at least net supply. And I guess also that the fact that we've seen negative yields for a sustained period, although that, that now showing signs of starting to change within the context, at least of, of the eurozone. And obviously, sovereign bonds reasonably consistently within that jurisdiction have delivered uh, negative returns in, in 2021 and, and, and negative returns more broadly just based on price performance. If you look ahead, you know, what, what are your expectations in terms of returns for sovereign bonds this year, given the inflation outlook, the rate outlook, the supply outlook, and, and kind of putting all those things together? In a nutshell, for fixed income, uh, we think that 2022 promises to be another rather dismal year, as uh, central banks are going to become less uh, supportive. Importantly, in this environment, uh, buy and hold approaches are likely to lead to poor results. We expect that active management should be preferred for this uh, year. And this is because we expect that the yields and the credit spreads will remain volatile with setting up different trends during the course of the year. And this in turn will create trading opportunities over relatively short holding periods. So 2022 does not seem to be a year in which buy and hold strategies sitting on a portfolio for a long period of time can deliver satisfactory uh, results. Consistently with uh, an environment of rising yields, uh, we expect that government bonds uh, will uh, deliver negative returns. And this is both uh, US and Euro area uh, with losses that uh, will probably be proportional to the duration. Thanks to Kerry, uh, BTPs uh, should probably outperform core EGBs. But even here, we are looking for negative returns on a, yearly, uh, on a yearly basis. In any case, the start of the year has been quite rough for government bonds. And 10-year yields have already risen a lot in the UK, U US, uh, and, and the UA. We're talking about 30, 40 basis points in the space of, of a few weeks. So a large part of the negative performance we expect for uh, the entire year has already occurred. And from the current level of yields, there, there are some places which start to look uh, relatively attractive. For example, under our forecast, the five-year of the Treasury curve should deliver until the end of the year already a positive return. We're, we're just looking for another 30 basis points increase, and uh, there's, uh, uh, that, that, that should be not enough to wipe uh, returns. 
With respect to EGBs, uh, I would say the picture is uh, a bit less clear cut. As I said, we are already very close to our year-end target. We do not see much upside risks, but the picture is uh, less clear cut, as I said, for the euro area. And looking perhaps into the credit space as, as well, typically we might see spreads widening there as, as rates uh, edge up. What is your view on, on credit? How do you see that performing within the, the context of what you've described so far? We are uh, more positive with respect uh, to credits, uh, and especially so with respect to the lower part uh, of the rating scale. First of all, uh, in the current environment, we see that uh, despite uh, rising inflation uh, and supply chain friction, which are a source of volatility for, for spreads, we are entering a period of further firming in economic activity. So this should create a positive backdrop on credit spreads. Secondly, in the euro area, we think that the ECB will absorb almost all net issuance of senior bonds, so providing a strong technical support to the market. Uh, so we have these two factors that uh, both go towards uh, supporting uh, the credit markets. We think that uh, there is some room for uh, tightening in the level of uh, credit spreads uh, in the non-financial senior space, but we are even more positive when it comes to subordinated and high yields. As I said here, the carry is much larger and we expect a stronger tightening compared to non-financial senior where the spreads are already relatively tight. Overall, we expect a yearly return for European high yields, which could be significantly into positive territory. So probably this is a space within fixed income where we have a more positive and constructive view. Well, that's very good to know because I think, um, and certainly I've heard in, in some other quarters that the view on credit may be, may be slightly less positive, but it's, it's good to hear your thoughts behind that. But more broadly, also, Luca, I think you've provided us with some excellent insight across a, a whole range uh, of dynamics there, be they economic uh, or in the debt markets. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and I'd like to thank you for providing us with your, your insight today. Sure, thanks. It was a pleasure and I hope it was useful. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.